Log Talk Radio. important thing. Well, good evening and welcome to another edition of Fighting Words of the Fighting Words News Network. Fighting Words is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services, 
the doctors, nurses, and first responders of COVID, and as wonderful people to keep the shelves stocked during pandemics as the people in the, in the supermarket. Tonight's program is going to be very loaded. Uh, it's uh, uh, very interesting and uh, quite a few to, uh, people from different parts of the country. So we'll be, uh, we'll be doing that uh, just a second. Um, let me see if I can pull Don in here. Roger, you want to take the uh, mic? Okay. The, uh, I know, Frank, uh, you said that uh, Roy's with us. Well, you know, it's the important cog in the first, uh, the, uh, uh, first of the, of the uh, couple of hours of uh, uh, show tonight. And, uh, you know, Roy, uh, we didn't have the show last week, and uh, it would have been interesting to uh, talk to you about the uh, Super Bowl. And uh, were you surprised? Uh, the, what, what exactly did you think? And a lot, a lot of uh, talk that uh, Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, can't win the big game. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, you know that's uh, that's the old uh, go-to um, when you can't find anything else to criticize a coach who's been exceptional. Um, or a player or anything like that, take your pick, uh, go with the uh, can't win the big one. Well, he got to the Super Bowl. They, they, they're pretty big leading up to that. You know, there were big games in the regular season, big games in the playoffs. Um, he's been there twice and now to the Super three times to the Super Bowl. And uh, so I'd say he does, you know, his, his record in the big one, as they say, uh, is pretty darn good. Um, you know, he's going against, one of the greatest dynasties in football history uh, in this case, and um, a quarterback who's better. I mean, bottom line, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, I'll be all right. Kansas City has the better quarterback. When when I was asked prior to the the game who I picked, uh, I said it's pretty simple. I think both teams are very good. Uh, I think they match up very well defensively. And I said, but at the end of the day, Kansas City's got the better quarterback. Always go with the better quarterback. Certainly the more seasoned quarterback. And certainly the quarterback who's been, you know, in that position before. We did, we talked about this before the, you know, before the Super Bowl, the week before the Super Bowl, that I said that one of the biggest difficulties that um, the, the 49ers are going to have is that their quarterback's going to have, a, you know, some issues, uh, you know, with the nerves probably going into that game. You're going to get out there and, as I said, it's unlike any other game. You spend 20, 30 minutes on the field uh, waiting, you know, to actually play football after you get on the field because you've got, you know, the national anthem plus another song and then all the pregame festivities and everything else. You know, by the time you actually start playing after you've, you know, last warmed up, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes have gone by, and that's something that can be difficult for a young player uh, like Brock Purdy to, uh, to deal with. I thought he dealt with it greatly, tremendously. Let's not forget. The 49ers were in the lead here. I don't think it has yeah. to do with Kyle Shanahan. It has a lot to do with the fact that uh, at the end of the day, um, the, the, the Chiefs executed an exceptional uh, series of plays on uh, one last series of downs and, uh, and managed to win a football game. It went to overtime. You know, it, it's right. truly a coin flip at that point. Truly a coin flip at that point. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a great go-to. Uh, I haven't lost uh, any of my regard for the 49ers. And, uh, uh, look, I thought they were the best team in the NFC uh, when the season began. Uh, they proved to be the, the best team in the NFC uh, throughout the course of the season. 
um, hit a little bit of a slump despite the quarterback issues. And they've been through a lot of quarterbacks over the last two years, three years. Um, you know, they uh, they were there. So uh, I, I think Kyle Shanahan is doing a fine job, as is John Lynch. Um, and I know they, they end up firing their defensive coordinator. I guess maybe it had, had to roll somewhere, but I don't know that that makes them better. I don't think that was the issue. Um, they got outcoached. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, but, you know, being outcoached by Andy Reid, well, you know, uh, join the club because uh, most everybody that goes up against them does get outcoached by him. Well, getting back to the um, the firing of or releasing whatever, you, however you want to describe it, of the defensive coordinator, everything that I have heard is that they worked with him uh, to use the system that they wanted. And I thought what was interesting is, uh, I, I don't know if it was Jim Nance, I think it was probably Tony Romo, he said uh, during the game that you could see where Shanahan was uh, t- uh, telling um, uh, what a Steve Wilkes, right? Uh, telling him that he w- he didn't want to go with that defense that he was calling, and that he wanted to change it. And and uh, Romo uh, uh, noted exactly what the defense was that he wanted to go to. So obviously he'd only been there a year. And there were the uh, issues between the head coach and the defensive coordinator, I guess, from early on, you know, about the philosophy of one versus the other. I don't know whether uh, you heard anything about that, but I I heard it from a number of sources, and especially on uh, NFL radio. Yeah, well, uh, the Donald has arrived. Oh, the Donald is with us. Okay. Uh, go go ahead, really go ahead Roy. We had a little technical problem there, but we're all set now. Go ahead, go ahead, Roy. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say about, you know, the stuff about Wilkes, uh, you know, as the coordinator. Look, you know, I don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to try to run a defense. Um, you want to blame somebody for, for as I said before, I guess, I guess maybe a head had to roll, although – you know, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, you know, my guess is that maybe uh, John Lynch has a better idea of what he wants to do defensively. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But um, look, that defense was good enough to get them to the Super Bowl and uh, into overtime against uh, an incredible team. And let's not forget, the you know, 49ers were pretty dominant for at least three quarters uh, defensively in that game. I, I, you know, maybe it's just a parting of the ways. My guess is it was a parting of the ways that was probably planned prior uh, to the game. I don't think the game decided uh, what happened with the coordinator in San Francisco, but we'll see what it means for him going forward still. uh, It's as good a team as there is in the NFL. Uh, I think anybody would (laughs) – you're not – more people are going to lose the bet if they don't pick this team to win it again uh, or at least win the NFC next year. So we'll see where it goes. Roy, the other thing that uh, has become a big story today and yesterday is the Kelsey conversation <laughs> with Reed and how the league has completely put a blackmail over anybody that says anything about it. They've lifted all the sound from the sidelines and everything else. Uh, they're not allowing that sound to be transmitted anywhere uh, with it, with the exception of the uh, NFL headquarters. I, I was a little surprised at that. Yeah, I guess I, I think I am too. I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm, I'm certainly disappointed. Um, 
because it just opens up, you know, more speculation. You know, what, what was said uh, was something truly off-color said um, that would damage, damage the reputation of Travis Kelsey. That's my first concern, um, because if it's just a bunch of, you know, F-bombs and S-bombs and, you know, that kind of thing, well, well we haven't heard that before. And, um, you know, so that, 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 that's what bothers me. But, you know, looking at the moment, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think anything was said there that, you know, would put Travis Kelsey in any kind of a, a compromising position or situation. Uh, I certainly hope not. Um, would hate to see a, a Hall of Fame career, you know, uh, you know, kind of black-eyed like that. But uh, at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's disappointing because, uh, you know what, it's, it's clearly one of the more interesting moments of that Super Bowl game which, you know, for three quarters was uh, a bit tedious to watch. Let's face it, even, even ca- you know, for the casual football fan, it had to be tedious. And for the, you know, the diehards, it was, uh, it was a bit tedious because it just was, you know, it was a lot of three and outs, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of teams basically struggling to find, uh, find their legs offensively. And uh, uh, clearly somebody's frustration boiled over there uh, in Travis Kelsey, and he, he let his uh, coach have it. Now, Look, you look at it, if you look at the whole situation in context, uh, you know, Andy Reid just rolls with the punch incredibly. I mean, I think within a second of whatever was said was said, you know, he's, he's focused on something else. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I, again, I'm disappointed, not surprised, but disappointed because, you know what, I, I think fans would like to know what's going on there. And you know what it is, the Super Bowl, you, 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 you mic this guy up for a reason. And, um, you know, this is the moment that probably everybody was hoping to see what, you know, what the mic uh, provided us, and now we're not going to see it. Although it will come out at some point. At some point it will come out. Roy Cummings, our guest, is always at the top of the show. And, uh, Roy, uh, Ira Kaufman, your good friend, is going to be up in the Hall of Fame with us in the next segment. So let's jump away from football for a second and go to the National Hockey League, which is your bread and butter. Uh the Rangers have gotten out to a little bit of a jump. Boston is really struggling right now. Broke a four-game losing streak on Sunday, uh, but have not played real well, uh, backing up a little bit. When you go to two through five, it's pretty much a stalemate game to game. Your thoughts? Yeah, you're right. Uh, look, right now, and, and tonight the Bruins with a big game at Edmonton tonight. Uh, so, you know, that's that's something to watch. The Bruins have suddenly looked, um, you know, beatable in the last few games. But uh, look, the Rangers Edmund's not going to be solid. easy. No. Oh, absolutely not. No, no, no. It's not any chance. Look, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Edmonton wins that game. I would kind of pick them to win at home, I think, because they're playing as well as anybody, you know, since uh, the first of the year, obviously. Uh, but you look at the Rangers and, uh, good, look, got, you know, good solid six-point lead on Carolina in the division. Uh, you know, second uh, tied with Bruins in uh, you know in the, in the conference, so they're in very good shape here. And uh, I think that uh, you know, uh, as long as the goaltending holds up in New York, I think they're going to um, I think they're going to be just fine. Look, that that lineup is as solid as there is. Uh, there's really not a weakness there. Um, you know, they've 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 lost a couple of players because of injury, Heedle in particular. But uh, at the end of the day. Uh, the Rangers are, you know, I guess the decision to get rid of Gerard Gallant has paid off because, you know, they're uh, they're as solid as they've ever been, and uh, they're in great shape here. And, 
heading into the stretch, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a battle you got going on between right now between Florida, Boston, and uh, the Rangers for that top spot in the uh, Eastern Conference. <clears throat> Roger, we saw a classic on Sunday. Uh... <laughs> Looked like the Islanders going to walk away with the Rangers in pretty good shape, and all of a sudden they get two double pen- penalties, and uh, the Rangers score and then win it in overtime. But it was a classic out at Med uh, at Bet Stadium. So of those people that saw it on television around the country, really a classic game on Sunday. Well, they they did. That was the game, and you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about uh, this uh, the uh, out- outside uh, series. Uh, that they have because the I guess the interest totally overall has gone down because you know when it was a novelty uh, it uh, you know it, it really drew more interest. I know the Flyers played the Devils. I watched that on Saturday, and uh, you know a lot of talk with the Flyers about that they may make a, a, a trade or two, uh, and uh, one of the names was Scott Lawton. However. Uh, then you start uh, t- talking to uh, uh, John uh, Tortorella, and uh, he likes the chemistry of the team. So is it a smart thing to uh, make a, a deal now when you do have a chance? I, and if they, I think they have a great chance, and I expect that the Flyers will make the playoffs. So, you know, do you really want to jeopardize uh, something like that, uh, the uh, the chemistry of the team? Uh, by taking a chance, so you know, only time will tell. And the Flyers didn't look 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 good against um, uh, the Devils on Saturday at all. But you know, you know it's one game, and uh, it, it doesn't make the season. Roy, you don't see two goals down with five minutes to go, uh, and double penalties to bring them right back in, and then win it in overtime. I I thought it was just a, an unbelievable finish. It really was. It was a great finish and a great game, and you know because it was kind of back and forth all the way. Well, not really back and forth, but I mean it was. It was just. It was really a, a, a good game, and the finish just made it uh, you know worth hanging in there to watch it all the way through, because uh, you just kind of got the feeling that the Rangers were going to do something there. And uh, I mean, if you just if you if you've been following the league all year, you know that the Islanders just can't seem to get over the hump, you know, and. Uh, and the Rangers, as we've already said, are playing as good a hockey as they have. So uh, it was it was really a, uh, a tremendous uh, game and a, and a great finish, as you said, and uh, uh, very exciting for the fans. Look, um, I know that there was talk in New York about how uh, it, that was the talk of the uh, of the day, and and you know rightfully so. I mean, the NHL has gotten smart about this. The Super Bowl is gone. Football's over. Baseball hasn't started yet. Uh, the NHL has got a chance to, you know, grab some headlines here and there now uh, for about a month and uh, certainly last weekend. And uh, uh, they did a good job, you know, getting the island, getting, you know, having these, these Eastern Conference, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia uh, matchups, uh, that's, that's where most of the fans are located. That's a, that's a great job of getting those teams to play each other. Now there's talk about possibly having a, a Rangers-Islanders game uh, you know, every uh, every year at that uh, juncture of the schedule, um, maybe it's not. I don't know if it's going to be outside all the time, but um, you know, having matchups like that, uh, just because they do draw so much attention, and uh, they become kind of the talk of the you know the, the airwaves the day after, which is the case in New York. There was a lot of talk about you know the Islanders and Rangers game, and even the Flyers and Devils game. So 
good for the NHL. You know, it's nice to see people paying attention. Um, you know, it was interesting today. Uh, I just happened to watch uh, PTI on ESPN, and I don't, don't, don't mean to give those guys a plug, but, uh, I mean, I watch the show occasionally. But today they had three different segments where they talked about an NHL event. They talked about Quentin Byfield's goal from last night's Kings game. They talked about tonight's Bruins-Oilers game. And they talked about uh, Alex Ovechkin uh, with eight goals in eight straight games. So, And they didn't talk once about the NBA. I think I that's got to that. be first. For for, yeah. for an ESPN show to have, you know, and granted, they spent, you know, 20 seconds each on the, uh, at most maybe 30 seconds each on each of those um, items uh, from the NHL. But to, to not have any NBA talk and, and and to have three segments where you actually talk, you know, about the NHL and, and it's relevant. Uh, to me, that was just, first of all, it was spectacular to see. It was great as a hockey fan. And, uh, you know, it would be nice if uh, ESPN would just pay a little bit more attention. I think if they if they did, they'd realize there's some pretty darn good stories in the NHL and a lot of interesting stuff going on. And, you know, a goal like last night's by Quentin Byfield where he, you know, uh, passes it over a guy's stick, uh, stick, controls it with his skate and gets a shot off uh, – uh, after bringing the puck up from his own blue line, uh, is just you know it was an incredible goal, and um, there's there's a lot of that going on, and uh, it's unfortunate, you know, even with ESPN, a lot of people are still missing it, don't realize uh, just what a great sport it is, but you know, it is what it is. So uh, you know, we'll see. I, hopefully, the uh, the Rangers Islanders game brought some attention to the league in, in a good way. Roger, you talked about it at Tortorella's a couple of minutes ago, and uh, of course. Uh, everybody within our group was very, very familiar with Tortorella because of the time he was here in Tampa. And uh, they were suspect when he came to the Flyers. What was he going to do? Uh, was he going to be able to have that strict disciplinarian uh, defensive style and, and be successful? He had a tough time in his first year. But as you indicated, uh, he sort of changed things around a little bit this year. Well, he sure has, Don. And, uh it's it's good to see. I mean, uh, they just give it all, and uh, they'll dive to stop uh, bucks from going in the net. And uh, you know, one of the things, the, I, the Roy, that uh, you brought up with these matches, I think is is really uh, straight on because um, I, I really think that when you have those, uh, it does get uh, more interest. And, uh, you know, and maybe uh, you get Boston into it uh, because uh, – and I don't know, uh, you know, what's uh, with, with the Capitals, but uh, I think if you have that uh, I-95 corridor uh, from uh, Washington to uh, Boston, uh, you can really do something with that. But the other thing is I think personally uh, TNT does a much better job of presenting the NHL than ESPN does. And I can remember back to uh, Tommy uh, talking about uh, when uh, ESPN really blew it when they gave up uh, the NHL a number of years ago, you know, because he was such a uh, a fan and and so had so much passion for the the, uh, NHL. Yeah, you, there's no doubt. Uh, TNT does a much better job. Uh, look, I'm not. not I, I love what ESPN did over the weekend. I mean, first of all, ABC and ESPN. Uh, kudos to them. Uh, from all hockey fans everywhere. I mean, a triple header on Saturday uh, with you know three great matchups. 
And then the, uh, the, the afternoon game on Sunday, uh, you know, it was on, you know, the main network, ABC, uh, at night and, and, and then again during the day and then the afternoon game on Sunday. So, I mean, they did a great job. You know, Steve Levy, uh, I, I've always felt for the guy because, you know, he, him and John Butchergross are just they're fighting so hard at ESPN, um, you know, to get the, the sport recognized. And they're, they know they're fighting an uphill battle. But, you know, P.K. Subban is as good as there is in terms of analysis. Um, I, I love him. Uh, obviously, Mark Messier is, you know, one of the uh, crown jewels of the game to have him there. And then you go over to TNT, you see Gretzky half the time. Um, you know, they do a great job. And uh, I think hockey's, uh, you know, in terms of studio shows and everything else, presentation, it's never been better. It's never been better. And the sport is actually, in my opinion, look, I, I, I grew up, you know, watching it during what I consider to be the golden age, uh, you know, and, um, you know, when, when Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and, uh, you know, Gordie Howe and, and those guys. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the game is better than it's ever been. The skill level is just beyond belief. I mean, guys are doing things with pucks that you, you just you, – you, no one can believe. I mean, when, when players shoot, you know, shoot pucks from between yeah, their yeah. legs, you know, from behind themselves, I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. You know, the Michigan goals, I mean, we see a few of those every year now. Um, it's just incredible, the skill level, and uh, it just needs to kind of be, you know, noticed. And that's, I think, what uh, – it's, it's one of the reasons ESPN, you know, or the NHL, you know, got in with ESPN again. They need they just need a broader uh, exposure, and hopefully it's going to come. But, um, you know, to go back to what you're saying real quick about John Tortorella and, and how he's been with the Flyers this year, you know, I, I've always believed that – the thing about John Tortorella, yes, he's a, he's a harsh disciplinarian. There's a certain style of play that he wants. You know, but he, he, will, lead, he will ease up on the gas pedal a little bit. Um, or you know, lighten up the hammer if you want to call it that. When the, when everybody's buying in, and that's what's happening in Philadelphia is everybody's buying right. into what he wants, which is a obviously a defensive first uh, approach. Um, you know, sacrifice yourself for the better of the team. And that means putting your you know everything from your your forehead to your toes in in front of a puck that's uh, being shot. And if you don't buy in, you won't be there. And you know, John Tortorella gets talked about because. You know, certain guys won't play for him. You know, he had trouble with Vinny LeCavier back in the day because Vinny didn't want to necessarily play that style. Uh, he had trouble with uh, Patrick Laine in Columbus because Patrick Laine didn't want to play that style. I think what he's got in Philadelphia is he's got about uh, 23 to 28 guys in that organization that are just willing to play his style. And, um, you know, and, and it's working for him. They just need a little consistency. They're a very the streaky team. Minutes. You know, they win four, now they've lost two could win tonight against the Blackhawks, but you never know. Connor Bedard's back, so that's uh, that's the X factor. But, you know, they're a little bit streaky. If they can get uh, away from that, develop a little bit of consistency, um, they are a team to watch in the playoffs. So if they can get there, and I think and right now, five-point lead on the next team uh, in the division behind them. So right now it looks good, but there's still a long way to go. Roy, you made a key point last week uh, about Coop and the fact that he finally got his goaltender back after going pretty close to 500 of the first half of the season or a little bit beyond. And, of course, Roger made the same point uh, talking about uh, the Flyers and the fact they got some good goaltending now. And that's really the key to the game. You, if you don't have good goaltending, you're not going to win. It is that simple. It really is. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like NFL play with quarterback. You've got to have that goaltender. 
Um, you see a team like the Kings, perfect example, which uh, play a pretty solid defensive style anyway, or they used to. They've really gotten away from it. Um, but, you know, they, they have a very defensive, solid defensive structure. Um, and the reason they had that is because they didn't have exceptional goaltending. Now, they had it when they had Jonathan Quick and he was at his best, but now Jonathan Quick is more of a, you know, a quasi-starter, more of a backup than anything else uh, with the Rangers. But, um, you know, when you've got Cal Talbot and, and Mike Riddich, uh, you know, your goaltending is probably just adequate. And it doesn't matter, you know, if, if the defensive structure isn't there, uh, you're going to end up losing a bunch. And that's what's happened with the Kings. Um, the Rangers, they're, they're really, only, you know, as good as they are up front, and as good as they, I mean, they're three lines deep, certainly two two plus. Uh, the defensive, right. you know, pairings are as good as there are in the league. I mean, you know, one through six, that's as good as you've got um, with the Rangers. But if Shesterkin isn't solid, and there were times, you know, for about a month there, he wasn't, and the Rangers looked, you know, they were struggling a bit, you know, kind of hanging on. And now Shesterkin seems to be a little bit sharper. Um, he wasn't all that sharp early on in the game against the Islanders. Let's not forget that. He gave up three quick ones. And um, But, you know, if it doesn't work out, uh, you're going to have problems. Look at Toronto. Perfect. And Ed- Ed- Edmonton. You know, two teams that play a, a fast, up-tempo style of game, don't really hit you a lot. Um, they kind of plan out score you 6-5 to five if they have to, and sometimes they have to because, again, the goaltending – isn't great, and uh, so yeah, it's really it really is about goaltending. It it can be that simple, especially in the playoffs. Well, Roy, I always save the last minute of your segment. Whenever Ira's on, I know you two two fellows worked together for so many years. Ira Cuffin, who's coming on next, ESPN representative, Hall of Fame representative, and one of the great people in the National Football League. And I always save the first question and the last question for you from Roy Cummings. Uh, what do you have for Ira tonight? <laughs> Ira, it's, uh, <laughs> congratulations on another uh, Hall of Fame uh, season, uh, getting uh, a, a tremendous class in this year for sure, no doubt about that. And uh, uh, that, that job seems to get harder every year, but uh, I know you were able to kind of sit back this time and uh, relax a little bit. But uh, one day soon the, the time will come when maybe Mike Evans has to be uh, promoted. I don't know if you'll be there then, if you'll be interested in doing it still, but um, – Great job again with the uh, the Hall of Fame, Ira. Thanks, Roy. I, I love listening to Cummings on the hockey because I have to admit that, uh, you know, since the trip folded, I haven't followed uh, the NHL like Roy does. Roy's right on top of everything. You know, he can tell you the third-line guy on, on Minnesota. Um, and, and I love that about Cummings. Of course, uh, right now he's worried about his cubby and uh, what's going on uh, in Chicago. Um, and, Roy, I got to <laughs> I gotta tell you, my, my Giants, uh, they don't scare anybody. Uh, I guess they just picked up Jorge uh, Soler. Um, I know he's going to hit about 28 homers, and he's going to strike out about 180 times. Right. That's what I know about him. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, now, Roy, uh, I think um, it's worth mentioning that um, – you and I will get together uh, a week from Friday uh, under somber uh, circumstances. Um, but maybe not that somber, Roy, because it's a celebration um, of, of Martin Fennelly. Um, and um, it's going to be a spectacular evening, Roy, spectacular. Maybe 300 people there. 
Um, I'm going to say a few remarks. I, I, I won't stay up there for too long. Um, I even got a joke, Roy. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't fall flat, but um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Roy. We're going to we're going to see a lot of people we've never we haven't seen in a long, long time, Roy. Yeah, and uh, you're right. Everybody's getting together for Martin to get to pay their respects to him, and uh, and uh, that's how it should be. I mean, he impacted an awful lot of people. And uh, he was just as, as friendly a guy as you'll ever run into, as, uh, as caring and, uh, you know, loving a person as you'll ever know. And uh, and truly the funniest person I've ever known in my life and arguably one of the smartest people I've ever known in my life. I mean, just Martin kind of had it all. I mean, we all looked up to him and I uh, was proud to, to be a partner with him and uh, at the Tribune, as, as I know you were, and um we all did a lot of great work together, and you're right. That's going to be a great evening, and uh, certainly looking forward to it. I right, just got. Uh, I'll give you one, one quick tip on the joke. Timing. <laughs> Timing is everything. <laughs> Timing is everything. <laughs> well, Roy, thank you very much as always for the first segment. Let's go right to Ira now, full time, and uh, Ira. Uh, seven people. Seven people. Seven people went in. Are you as pleased with the seven as you could be? No, because I think it should have been nine, gentlemen. Um, there you go. Explain why. All right. Um, one modern day um, – no, not one modern day. One, one senior uh, and one uh, coach were, were rejected in voting by the full, uh, you know, 48-person selection board uh and these are people that were put forward by the subcommittees uh, i'm on the senior subcommittee um other people are on the uh, contributor slash coach committee uh and they right, how about one parker member. what happened to parker well it's funny you mention it the zoom call was eight and a half hours and buddy mm. parker who coached the Lions, I believe, and beat Paul Brown four out of five times in their meetings, including twice, I believe, in a championship game. And nobody exactly did that right. to Paul Brown. Um, nobody did that to Paul Brown. Um, and he was the coach-slash-contributor uh, nominee by the committee. And it's a 12-man committee, and he, he – won that battle against guys like Robert Kraft, Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan, people like that. And um, and they picked uh, Buddy Parker. Well, what's the problem? Well, nobody on the committee basically uh, was around when Buddy Parker was coaching. Uh, maybe Bill Polian was around, maybe. Um, but very few people... Uh, 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 very few selectors. Well, anyway, it was an eight-and-a-half-hour meeting, and Buddy Parker was the first name up. So after about a six-minute presentation, we opened it up for discussion. Guys, the discussion on Buddy Parker took one hour and ten minutes. One hour. So that answers anybody who says that, uh, you know, we don't put uh, enough scrutiny uh, into, into this process. Um, 70 minutes of discussion uh, on a guy who coached, you know, 80 years ago. Uh, and it went back and forth, back and forth. Um, 
And uh, in the end, um, you know, there were some things said about Parker that I can't get into, um, you know, about his attitudes. And um, in the end, it, it took, uh, you know, nine or ten votes to uh, squash uh, his uh, nomination. And that's what happened. Um, at the end of the day, he, he didn't get the 80 percent. Um, a lot of us that were pushing for Parker were uh, – we were appalled. Uh, and as far as the uh, senior candidates, Randy Gratishar, of course, uh, sailed in. <laughs> uh, but when it came um, to Art Powell, who was a receiver in, in the American Football League uh, in, the er, uh, in the early to mid-60s and had some fantastic seasons, uh, you know, 16 touchdown seasons, in 1963, again, not many selectors saw him play, if any, very few. Um, and in the end, uh, there was a suggestion that, uh, well, there wasn't any defense played in the AFL, so no wonder that he put up these big numbers. I mean, I think that's a very silly uh, way to look at things. Um, if there was no defense, there would have been 10 or 12 receivers around the league that put up those numbers, and they didn't. It was Art Powell. Um, you know, I'm not saying he's Lance Allworth, but, you know, the guy ended up averaging 75 or 80 yards uh, per game for his career. I mean, it was a very, very high total. And um, so he didn't get enough votes. He didn't pass the 80% either. So it could have been a nine-person class, and instead there's going to be two empty spots. Uh, as far as the modern-day guys, I think the big surprise was Devin Hester. Um, nobody knew if they were going to acknowledge a, a special teamer, um, you know, who only played a certain percentage at a time. Yeah, he was a wide receiver, but he didn't get a gold jacket be- because he was a wide receiver. Um, mm. He got a gold jacket because he's the best return man in, in NFL history. Um, I think he had nine. I think he had 19 return touchdowns, punt and kickoff. I mean, that's a huge number. He changed games. Um, once he made his reputation, uh, instead of kicking off to him, uh, guys, uh, coaches would tell their their uh, kicker or punter to uh, kick the ball out of bounds, give it to him at the forty. Just don't don't kick it to that guy. So you know, in that way, he had a big influence. Um, nobody's surprised about Julius Peppers, Andre Johnson, who put up big numbers in Houston without much of a quarterback. I think Matt Schaub was his best quarterback. Um, and, uh, you know, um, the, uh, the linebacker from the 49ers, uh, nobody is surprised there. He was a monster. He was a five-time first-team All-Pro. Um, and I think the biggest surprise, if there was one, from the modern-day era was Antonio Gates did not make it. Now, it was his first year of eligibility, um, just like Pepper's. Uh, most people thought he and Peppers would both get in first year of eligibility, and it didn't happen for Gates. Uh, a little bit of a surprise. He had 116 touchdowns, the most ever uh, in a career by a tight end. It's more than Tony Gonzalez, and he didn't get in, and, you, and Gonzalez uh, sailed through as a first-time guy, and Gronkowski's probably going to get in first time around. So 
Mark down Antonio Gates for next year's class. I, I think he's a shoo-in, but he did not make it in, in year one. Um, I think it's a good class, but I'm a little bit disappointed that uh, two guys didn't make the grade. Roger? Hi, uh, last week uh, during uh, Super Bowl week, uh, or it might have been right after, uh, Chris Russo uh, had a, a, a list of all the con- contributors that have gone into the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, from, the, from the outset, you know, when they first uh, started voting them in. And my, my opinion is you should be in there as a contributor with everything that you have done. And now these young uh, members of the uh, selection uh, committee uh, are the, do they vote for the contributors, or is that a separate committee? They, they, uh, it's 12, 12 guys on the contributor coach committee and 12 guys on the senior committee. I'm on the senior okay. committee. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and How many years, Ira? The, How many years? How many years? Uh, about four years uh, on that subcommittee, but 20 years as a selector. 20 years. Okay. Um, I just I just celebrated uh, two decades, um, and they tend to put um, the older selectors, guys who've been around like me. Um, those are the guys that uh, are on the senior committee. Because let's face it, you don't want a guy on a senior committee that started watching football in, in 1992. I mean that's silly. Right. Um, so I go back to like the mid 60s. Some guys go back a little further than that. But you know that's that's a long time. I mean uh, that that that's sixty something years of, of watching football, and uh, so that um, I, I feel it gives me a little bit better context to judge these guys. Well, I also thought that well, uh, you sort of last time you were on with us before the the, the players were named and all and all this, uh, and uh, Roy just alluded to the same thing. But Evans goes in, and you said, well. Uh, and I don't want to say how old you said you were, but uh, right. he's got uh, at least two more years or three more years as an active player, maybe more. He's only 30. Uh, do you right. think he'll still be around to, to, to uh, be, the, be the spokesman for him to go into the Hall of Fame? Well, I'll still be around, but uh, I don't think I'll be on the committee. I don't. Um, you know, 20 years is a good round number. Maybe I could make it to 25, but you're right. Evans has two or three years left. I talked to him uh, 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 about six weeks ago in the locker room, and I asked him, uh, and he knows I'm a representative uh, for the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and he's going to be walking. You don't even do too much selling there. That's right. I don't have to do it. And uh, so we chatted a little, and I said, uh, hey, Mike, uh, I might still be around. Uh, you're gonna pl-. And I was kidding with him. I said, you're going to play another 10 years, then you've got to be retired five years. He goes, he goes, Ira, I, I, I'm not going to play more than three, four, four years maximum, probably not even. Um, so he's looking at that. I mean, he's put 10 excellent seasons together. He's got a streak that nobody else can match. He's got a lot of touchdowns. Um, you know, if he plays three more years and suppose he gets, you know, close to 30 touchdowns in, in that time, which might happen. He had 13 last season. Um I mean, he's going to end up with a big number. You're not going to be able to keep Mike Evans out. Um, now, is he a speedster like Tyreek Hill? No. Does he drop some balls? Yeah. Is he great at yards after the catch? No. But, you know, he's a big play, consistent, 
player. And by the way, he's a tremendous representative for the Buccaneers. And I don't know if that's going to be a factor, uh, but I think it should be uh, in terms of uh, extending a 30-year-old wide receiver. You'd say, well, he's going to slow down and this and that. But I got to tell you guys, reading the comments on some of our stories uh, when discussing the, the future of Mike Evans, um, I mean, there's a lot of Buck fans out there that are absolutely swear allegiance to number 13 to the point where some of them are saying, I'm not going to renew my tickets uh, if he's gone, if he's playing in another uniform. Um, And, you know, the Glazers read, Joe Buck's fan, they read it. Jason Light reads it. Bowles reads it. And players read it. And I think just the fact that, um, you know, he's a great ambassador. For this franchise, I, I think, I think you got to factor that in in, in terms of uh, whether you want to keep this guy. I'm with you, well, Roger. Yeah, well, I'm I'm with I'm with you too because I don't think uh, uh, that th- that's taken into consideration. Now, I'll give you a perfect example uh, that all of us know and think the world of. He's never going to be in the Hall of Fame, but how can you get a better spokesman? Uh, for the Eagles or the NFL and for football in general than Ron Jaworski. Yeah, he tried to save the Arena League. Uh, you know, he's out there with all these charities. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's not a Hall of Famer. But, boy, I'll tell you, he's a Hall of Famer as far as promoting uh, the Eagles, the NFL, and football in general. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've gotten to know Jaworski over the years. I have. Um, uh, I've got his number. We talk. Uh, I've had him on podcasts before. Um, And one time I drove over towards Orlando. This is years and years ago when I was at the Tribune. Um, And he was doing something for the alumni. Uh, He was very Mm -hmm. involved in health issues, uh, CTE. He had John Mackey's um, widow there in Orlando and some players. And um, you're right. You can't say enough about uh, what kind of guy Jaworski is. Good quarterback. You're right. Not great. Good quarterback. Um, Led them to a Super Bowl, um, which I covered. And I also covered uh, the game before that when they, uh, you know, they beat the heck out of the Cowboys. Uh, It was about a five-degree day at the vet. Um, and it was the, uh, I'll never forget it. It was the, uh, 1980 season and, uh, here, here came, here come the Cowboys with Landry. Um, and I think Danny White was the quarterback and Wilbert Montgomery ran wild that day. I think he had a buck 94. Uh, Jaworski did a nice job and, um, they, uh, they, they beat America's team and then they played the Raiders in that Super Bowl. And they, they they just didn't play well. The Eagles didn't play no. well. Jaworski didn't play well in that game. Um, and it should have been a lot closer than it was. But um, Philly just had an off day that day. All right, before we let you go, on ESPN the other day, well, I guess a couple of weeks ago, Friday, when the schedule was announced, and the Eagles were announced going to Brazil, <laughs> you had some very interesting <laughs> comments with Mad Dog. Your thoughts on the Eagles going to Brazil to start the season? 
<laughs> well, maybe they want to get as far away from Pennsylvania as as they can, based on uh, the way the based on the way that season ended. Boy, you know, you guys, uh, we haven't talked in a while. Um, going into that playoff game uh, in Tampa, you know, I, I picked the Eagles to win, and and, and for a very simple reason, I, I basically said. They they can't be as bad as they've looked for the last five six weeks. They they can't be this bad. They got talent. Um, you know, Hurts is better than this. Um, then of course AJ Brown didn't play, and I I don't think it mattered the way the Eagles. They didn't show up. They did no. not show up that day. Uh, five minutes into that game, uh, I didn't think the Eagles had a chance to win. And you don't often say that uh, about an NFL game. Um, they were flat. They were disinterested. Uh, I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, so now they're going to Brazil. Uh, who are they going to play? Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's going to get a big rating. And one of the things I said to Russo, and I'm standing by it, um, you know, this international expansion stuff, you know, these games, <laughs> uh, this is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, London, uh, Munich, uh, Brazil, um, who knows? They they, they they might play in Australia one day, guys. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and it's all for one reason. Goodell uh, is obsessed with growing the revenue streams. He talked about a $25 billion industry uh, when he got the job and replaced Tagliabue. Uh, I think that was like 2006 or seven. Um, and the league had $7 billion in revenue, and he was talking about 25. And I think right now it's more than 20. So that's why he gets to keep his job, and that's why he gets to make $60 million a year, because he's doing a great job for the owners. And he's driving, he's driving this train internationally, and it's not going to stop. It's not stopping at Brazil. Who knows what's next? Um, and I'll say this, though. I, I think this idea of having permanent teams overseas, uh, I, I don't know about that one. I don't think that's practical. I just don't think it's practical. But um, you're going to see more and more international games in, in different venues. Um, and from what I've heard, uh, you know, the European market, it's, it's insatiable for NFL football. Um, and why shouldn't it be? It's the best sport out there, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Roger, you might as well get your last question in before Howard gets on with us, so uh, go to it. Yeah. Well, I agree with that, and and uh, I think that you you can go uh, so far. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, what the response is in, in South America, uh, because, first of all, the uh, economies are different. You know, down there, okay, than yeah. than here, and depending on what they're going to uh, ch- charge uh, to go to see the game, uh, but uh, like NFL properties, Ira, you know as well as I do. I mean, you can call in and get delivered tomorrow or the next day uh, a jersey or a jacket or a hat, cap or whatever, and that's where the market has really boomed. Uh, with all the paraphernalia. At least that's the way I look at it. I'm just uh, I'm trying to picture Jalen Hurts in uh, Rio de Janeiro, gentlemen. Um, 
uh, the night before, <laughs> the night before the game with all the carnivals and everything going on. Um, he, he might not make the game. They might have to use the backup that day. <laughs> the whole team may not make the game. Seriani <laughs> better keep a tight lid on those guys. I'm telling you right now. Oh yeah, I will tell you, it's always a always a pleasure. We thank you so very much for taking the time with us, and and you and and Roy have a great time at the reunion in a couple of weeks. There, as you said, what 300 guests or so, and uh, you guys yeah. will all get together and. Uh, it was a long haul with the paper, and just hope it all comes to to its uh, fruition uh, the other night, uh, in a couple of weeks when you have the dinner. And, and I and I do want to say this, um, in, in fairness, um, you know this tribute to Martin Fennelly, you know late great columnist for the Tribune, then he went on to the Times. Um, one of the few guys that I've ever seen in my business, and I've been doing this for uh, more than forty five years that could make you laugh off the printed page. Very, very difficult to do that. Very difficult. This is not a comedian on a stage. It's a printed page. And to make somebody laugh when they're reading your column, um, uh, that that is a tremendous gift. And I want to say that this um, big night is, is going to be at uh, Raymond James Stadium. Um, and the Bucks have gone out of their way uh, to work with uh, Joey Johnston from the Tribune, who's organized this night tribute tribute night to Martin Fenley, uh, and the Bucks are uh, letting us use uh, a bar area uh, in the stadium, and they're providing uh, you know food and drinks. Uh, they don't have to do that, so it is a very classy gesture by the Buck organization, and we're all very appreciative. All right, Ira, thank you so very much. Have a great time, and we'll get you back on with us soon again, and we'll do it all over again. I always enjoy it, guys. Thanks. Uh, you're the best, Ira. Take care. Now, I haven't heard from Frank. Have we got uh, Howard Eskin ready to go? He hasn't called in yet. Oh, he hasn't called in yet. Okay, we'll have to hold off on that then. Uh, well, so, Roger, let me, we'll, we'll... Let me, let me, Yeah, let me say this uh, before uh, Howard gets on, because I have a question for him. Uh, Derek Gunn had a, uh, a either a tweet out on Twitter or uh, something today, and it was that uh, the uh, gentleman that was the head of security, Big Dom, as they know him, and uh, that uh, what happened is that when he was banned from the sidelines, uh, he had been the one that kept Sirianni under control. And uh, because Sirianni then did not have anybody to uh, hold him back about criticism. Uh, he was going after players, coaches, and everything yeah, else. Let me, let me so, hold on for a minute, Roger. Let me hold on for a minute, Roger. A lot of people around the country that are listening don't really remember what you're talking about. So get the background first before we get to the, to the uh, security guard. Yeah, well, what happened was the director of security for the Eagles, uh, I think it's uh, Dom, it's not Giordano, but it's uh, Guendano or something like that. Uh, A Penn State graduate, a big guy, and I think he played football at Penn State. And so he was suspended because uh, he had had made contact uh, with, I think, a what was it, I think a 49ers player in that game, as I recall. 
And uh, so he was suspended, and, and then he was not allowed to be on the field again. And he'd have to be in, in the press box or whatever. So, But I did not have any idea, and, and Derek Gunn knows what he's talking about. So uh, there was no buffer to, uh, between uh, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, and him going after players and coaches during the game. So uh, Dom would, would hold him back, you know, get him to relax and everything. So uh, a lot of this may have happened after that, uh, that blowout uh, by the 49ers because that's when the beginning of the downfall was, you know, for the Eagles. No doubt about it. Uh, they got blown out there. They got blown out by not a total blowout by the Cowboys. I guess the next they lost to Seattle after that, and it was just it just kept on uh, cont- continuing to roll downhill with losses. So uh, that's what Derek uh, reported today. I found that very interesting. I'd never heard this before, and uh, I'm anxious to hear uh, Howard's because he's on the field as the sideline reporter for the Eagles network. And I'm anxious to hear what Howard says about this. Well, Howard and I go back a long way. And of course, now I look at Howard, he's really the senior correspondent in Philadelphia, Roger. uh, You think about the radio, the television, uh, all the years that uh, I worked with, uh, with Howard and, and then uh, we worked separately. And uh, hard to believe that uh, I think he said to me the last time I talked to him that he was 19 years younger than I am. So, uh, hey, Don, Don yeah. Howard's on now. Howard is okay. on now. There he is. <laughs> and I think he told me he was younger than you. <laughs> I think that's what he told me. 19 years younger than I am, and I can't believe Howard that uh, after all these years of working in Philadelphia. You have become the senior correspondent for radio, television, and the broadcast system. What's going on? Well, um, 19, I thought I was like 33 years younger than you were, Don. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept going that. I'll take that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, hey, listen, everything's good. It's all good. It's all, I'm just, just do what I do, and I always do it. So, uh, you know, I didn't hear. uh, I I guess you didn't hear what Roger was talking about with Derek Gunn and what he had to say about that sideline confrontation. You were on the sidelines and have been all the time for the Philadelphia Eagles. What was your take on it? Well, I didn't hear. What did he say about this? Let let me first ask. Uh, A lot of people don't check. They just comment. Uh, That's what the media has become. What did he say? And then I'll comment on it. Here, here, here's what I was going to bring up to you, okay, Howard. By the way, did you get the pins? Uh, I did George not, Michael. actually. No, I really? did not. Really? Okay. So I will ch- I'll okay. Check. Then, you know, I can check the mail on that because I, I registered. Anyway, okay. uh, Derek Gunn put out a message that uh, when Dom, Big Dom, uh, was taken off the sidelines, he had been the buffer with Seriani blowing up, going after coaches and players. And that's the way I read this. And you're there at every game on the sidelines, and that's what I was wondering um, what your opinion or, or if you had an opinion or if you saw any of this. Okay, let me just say that's overstated. 
All right, it makes okay. it sound like he's blowing up at everybody. And this is what the media, and this is all off of a, you know, an FS1, and people are trying to figure out, uh, you know, because Craig said uh, there was something that broke up the team, uh, and uh, that broke up the team, and it was off the field. Well, that's not off the field. So Derek's gone, and I had no Dom. I'll say this about Dom. Dom is a calming influence on the sideline. Does mm-hmm. does. It, it, it makes that report makes it sound like there's blowups all the time. Nick is a very Nick Sirianni is a very emotional guy, but I think that's clearly overstated by far. Now, does he keep a calm on the sideline? Yeah, I, he does, and you know, and I see Dom a lot, and uh, we're kind of in the same spots a lot of times on, on the sideline. But it's not. Uh, it, that makes it sound like it's a, it's chaos on the sideline. It is not chaos. Nick gets excited. Uh, Nick goes off on certain guys. But I can tell you, if if I I can't even count on one hand the times I've seen him go off on everybody. Does he? Uh, um, uh, first of all, he doesn't have to get in the face of a coach because they're on the headphones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So if he wants to talk to him, he can talk to him on the headphones. So, you know, pretty much most of them are connected. But the one thing Dom, Big Dom does is he's a calming influence, and he kind of keeps more so probably players under control if there's a problem. Uh, When Nick goes, I think he lets Nick kind of go when he wants to go off on officials, but he's by him in case something happens. And I had heard – that the here's here's the deal. I had heard earlier in the week, which it's Wednesday, earlier in the week, that uh, they missed Dom on the sidelines. That's not the reason they lost, but he is important. There's no question he's important on the sideline. But every time somebody puts out a report, report like it's a report, uh, then everybody just crawls all over it, and uh, that is extremely, extremely overstated and just very much overstated. But he is, no question, Dom, uh, and there's people in the organization that thought with him not being there, there wasn't something there that could keep a lot of things going on uh, an an even keel. Uh, But I didn't see a lot of blow-ups. Are there blow-ups on the sidelines? Sure. Sure, there's blow-ups. Oh, sure. Players going going after the quarterback. You see – not going after him, you know, having a, a discussion with him. But, you know, and guys blow off steam. But I think that that report is clearly overstated. But what is not overstated is how important that uh, I know people in the organization have told me uh, how important Dom is on the sideline. And they did miss him. There's no question they missed him. Howard, let's skip around a little bit on the present day. Yeah, the Philadelphia 76ers have lost their center. Uh, is he going to be able to be back in time, most valuable player in time for the playoffs? Or where do the 76ers stand now between the Knicks and the Boston Celtics and the rest of the league? Well, I think the Knicks and the, I think the Celtics are clear, obviously clearly better. I think the Knicks are better, and they play the Knicks uh, Thursday night. Uh, they got I a lot of injuries, too. Yeah, uh, but I think they're a better team. Everybody everybody waits for the end. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. But I'm not, you know, I know there's a report. The Sixers, by the way, are one of the all-time 
organizations of misleading people. Uh, I don't want to call them liars, but you know what I'm saying, uh, of misleading people with information. Uh, all they care about is money. They don't. Uh, the owner doesn't have a passion to win. He just has a passion to make money. That's Josh Harris. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of the, – Ramona Shelbourne put out a report uh, that they're hoping – he comes back before the end of the season. Well, I'm not sure why that report came out. I don't. They said they were going to reevaluate him in four weeks. The four weeks isn't up yet. So how do they know? But the Sixers are the ones that threw it out there, that fed this information to her. Right. And, of course, she puts it out there. Uh, but here's – and here I think about how devious the 76ers are. Devious. And that's the word I'm going to use, devious, that playoff people are, are thinking about buying their – if Embiid, if they said, you know, if they were honest, uh, and I don't know that he's going to be out for the playoffs, I don't know that he's going to be back. But if they were honest and say, hey, it would be a stretch to have him back for the playoffs, you think people would buy their playoff tickets? Do you? Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, okay. So, and then they've already raised ticket prices. Some of the season ticket holders told me they already got a 7% increase on season tickets for next year. This is who, and he's already raised ticket prices in Washington for the football team, eight and a half percent. And they suck. Uh, the Washington football team sucks. So I don't know whether he's going to be back. And, you know, they keep on saying, uh, you know, and they're telling it, they're telling us, they're telling us that he could be back in a few weeks. Well, how do they know if they haven't reevaluated him yet? They said they were going to reevaluate right. in four weeks. So I don't know. I, I can't tell you. Uh, I know. I know this. When he does, if and when he does come back, when is the last time you saw Joel Embiid in shape after a long layoff? Uh, mm-hmm. And he's not. He's not in shape. So they're not a, 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 under this regime. Daryl Morey, the president, and, you know, he makes all the moves. You know, call him the general manager, but he's the president, is a con man, is a total fraud, never won anywhere. And he's I, – I don't think with this core of players, what he has, he's going to win here. So that's all I can tell you. And they have some good players. Uh, Joel Embiid, there's no question, is very talented. I just don't think he's – I don't think he's a winner because I don't think he's a leader, and I don't think he plays for his team. But he's really, really, really talented. There's no question. But you've got to be part of your team. The, the, the best guy and the best individual on that team is Tyrese Maxey. No question. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's a really good player. I don't know that he's a star yet, but he's a really good player. But he does whatever the coaches want him to do, uh, and he's there for his teammates all the time. That guy, Roger? I, I, I give an A-plus for him. Well, I, I agree. I, I love the guy. Uh, he just uh, emits uh, to me like the old-time uh, uh, basketball players that we loved in the NBA, uh, you know, back years ago. Uh, but yep. I also, uh, you know, to uh, just to get a personal, it, uh, I guess it, it has to be uh, great for you uh, that uh, your son is back uh, at WIP, uh, and he's going to be on uh, the afternoon show. I, you know, after 
New York, his experience there and everything. Well, I mean, I started uh, the afternoon, first afternoon show on WRC right. 38 years ago. So it's right. you, know, so you, you always need an Eskin in the afternoon. You can't have enough Eskins on WRC. So it's good for him. I think he wanted to, it's like New York kind of the travel in and out of the city. Kind of wore, He lives in North Jersey, but kind of wore him out. And I think he wanted to be back on the air. Now, what I have to deal with him, he believed the process uh, worked, and they, they just didn't let it go through. Uh, he's delusional. Um, I don't think he's run out of Kool-Aid yet because uh, he's still drinking it. Uh, but he realizes – where this team is right now. And I think he's kind of coming around. He's probably running out of the Kool-Aid. So it, it's just, <laughs> but yeah, it's good for him that he's coming back. You know? Howard, you were in Clearwater last week. Uh, we talked about it two weeks ago. Uh, he talked about two key figures. He thought they needed a veteran type player coming off the bench and outfielder that wouldn't disrupt things. They didn't want to use the young player as a sort of a designated pinch hitter and so forth. And they also needed another pitcher. Your thoughts, you were down all last week looking at uh, the opening of camp, and I know you'll be back again. Your thoughts on the Phillies? Well, um, I think they have their starting rotation set. Now, baseball is such a long season. You can always make trades. You can wait to make trades. You'll always make them. Uh, They had thoughts of Jordan Montgomery, but as long as Scott Boras represents Jordan Montgomery, uh, and ask for more money than a player's worth, and that's what Scott Boris does. Scott Boris is one of the worst people uh, in, in baseball uh, because he has too much control because he has too many players. And, you know, you still, he still has two guys that haven't signed yet, two key pitchers in Montgomery and Snell. Uh, so, but he, he's just he's brutal, absolutely brutal. But the reality is they have, they have two left-handers in the starting rotation now. And you'd have three in a row if you had Wheeler Noel as your first two. Then you'd have, and you got rid of Taiwan Walker and put a left-hander in there. Uh, I just, uh, I don't think they're going to go after a starter. They might get another bullpen guy, but you know they added a player uh, last week in Whit Murrayfield, who is a good player coming off the bench. Uh, Rob Thompson said to me when I had him on the air on Saturday, because I asked him. Are you a better team with Harper and Wright and then Reese Hoskins on first? And he said, yes, we are a better team. So why, why didn't that happen? Uh, well, it didn't happen because Harper wanted to play first. So that was the end of Hoskins because there was no place to put him. But they'll miss Hoskins back. But they're, the Phillies are a really good team. They really are a good team. Now, the Braves are the best team in the division. And outside of that, I don't think there's any real competition because I don't think the Mets are going to be that good. And then um, the Dodgers are a really good team, and there'll be some, there'll be one or two other teams that'll be good this year. But um, the Phillies are a good team. Are they good enough uh, to get to the World Series? Uh, with with a with a few breaks, they are a good baseball team. But they they strike you out too much. They don't generate runs without home runs. You got to you got to not just live on the home run. And the Phillies do too much of that. But they, they have a good lineup. There's no question they have a good lineup. Roger? Well, that was, that was interesting, uh, what Rob uh, said, uh, you know, about uh, uh, Reese on first and uh, Harper in right. 
and uh, that they're a better team. They would be a better team. I I found yes. that uh, very insightful. Really. Well, where was the disconnect? If the yeah. Arthur said the team asked him to play first base, so where was it? Or was there a disconnect? <laughs> or it just when Harper said he wanted to play first, they said okay. Uh, so. Yeah. And he also said, I want to play for the Phillies for the rest of my career, uh, Howard. That's another thing he said. Well, it's ridiculous to ask for an extension when you have eight years left in the contract. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. But that's Scott Boris. See, he screwed up. Scott Boris screwed up the contract. He wanted to have the biggest contract in baseball when Harper signed. And he signed, he extended the contract to 13 years, $330 million. And for five minutes, he had the largest contract, the biggest contract, until Trout signed. But the reality is, you know, you know at the beginning of that, first of all, you know the salaries are going to go up every year. Okay, he's outperformed his contract. But in the last four years of his contract, maybe five, is he going to be worth what the Phillies are paying him? So you've got to look at it both ways, but they don't want to look at it both ways. And I don't think this is Harper. I think this is clearly Scott Boris, and oh, Harper yeah. just goes along with them. Uh, because Scott Boris screwed up. He should have signed a six- or seven-year contract. Dodgers offered him four at about $10 million more a year, but he didn't want to do that because it wasn't a big enough contract from a number standpoint. So uh, he could have signed a six- or seven-year contract, but he wouldn't have had the largest contract in baseball. And then uh, at this point, he could have started talking about adding years to the contract. You can't do it now. I mean, it's just it's, it's asinine to do it now. I mean, it's ridiculous to ask for an extension. You still have eight years left. I mean, it's, it's oh, pathetic. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pathetic. And I, I feel bad for Harper because Harper thinks, you know, he's bulletproof. And, and it's just, you know, people aren't going to criticize. And a lot of people in Philadelphia criticizing the fact that he's going along with it. Uh, to get an extension. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. Roger? Well, I'm just wondering, you know, players change uh, agents all the time. I have no idea what what the uh, payout would be if, if a, a player cancels a contract with an agent. You know a lot better, more about it than I do. Well, they'd have but, to pay him whatever their percentage is for the length of that contract. So he's not he's not going to get rid of Scott Boris. Scott Boris is too strong, and he's got too much of a hold on these guys. You know, players get rid of agents, uh, but it's usually near the end of their contract to get somebody else to do a new one. It's not not going to happen with with Harper and Boris. Was he Hoskins' uh, agent too? Yes, he was. That's yes, what I was. thought. Yeah, yeah, that's he was, and and I believe from what I was told. Hoskins would have done a one-year deal here, played for another contract, and because he loves Philadelphia and the manager loves him, loves mm-hmm. him in the clubhouse. I mean, all the things he said about him, he loves him. Uh, and he would have he would have stayed here for a year. Uh, Boris wouldn't have wanted, but Reese Hoskins would have said, you know what? Where do you want to play here or in Milwaukee? I mean, really? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Howard, going back to your statement about the starting pitching, and, uh, you know, if the the Phillies made the moves that you're indicating, they don't want to wind up with three starting left-handed pitchers, do they? No. Well, they're going to have – it's going to be uh, Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Taiwan Walker, who I don't like a little bit, and uh, Sanchez, a young guy that pitched for him last year a little bit. He's a left-hander. 
that's their starting rotation as they look at it right now. But we're still, I guess, a little over a month away from the start of the season. But that's the way they look at it right now. So it's, it's so it's righty righty, lefty righty lefty. What does Rob think about about Abel, Mick Abel? I don't. He, I don't think he's ready yet. I and mean, I don't think no. they think he's ready yet. No. Nope. And then Painter's not going to pitch this year. If he pitches in September, they're lucky. And they, you got to be careful. He's only twenty. He's now twenty years old. Got to be careful. Right. You know he had that surgery. So you know, in the following year they'll have him too. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't think as it stands right now, I don't think they're going to go after a starting pitcher. Well, Howard, I want to thank you as always. Uh, you know, we you, you got your travel all around the country between the sidelines with the Eagles, the Clearwater, and back and forth, and running the show at the same time. And uh, you got to get a little, got to be getting a little tired yourself. Tired? What? Sleep is an intrusion on my work day. Will you stop it? Howard, <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think the Eagle the Eagles are going to uh, get back? Uh, on the right uh, path next year. The quarterback's got to play better. I mean, they need players on defense. The defense was brutal. They need uh, at least one safety. They need at least one linebacker, probably more. Uh, they need a corner, but they signed a guy who was suspended last year from Minneapolis, which is named Rogers, I think his name is. Uh, they think can play the corner because Bradbury won't be with the team. They need another defensive lineman. Uh, they'll probably need another offensive lineman. And then, but above everything else, you can't win without good play from the quarterback. They need the quarterback to play better. They absolutely do. And if he does, then some of the other things will fall into place. But that's what's got to happen above everything else. Are they going to go back to the Super Bowl next year? Uh, I think that would be, I won't call it a miracle. And that would be really, really difficult with everything they need. But I'll tell you who won't go back is San Francisco. So take them out of the mix. Teams that lose in the Super Bowl have not gone back. Uh, well, they've only gone back once in the last 29 years, uh, the next year. So I take them right out of the mix. But still, there's still some good teams in the NFC. But they got to get good play from the quarterback. Howard, my last question well, that, to you is, it, it was all that speculation about when they went on the West Coast for the three trips, that they, the, the older players just got tired. And Merle Reese was on this not too long ago. And he said, uh, you know, uh, they didn't anticipate there's going to be – was it the fact that they were going to the West Coast and they were out there for such a long time, or was it just the fact that they wore down because it was games 14, 15, 16, whatever? Well, what, long time meaning what? When we go to the West Coast, uh, we go – we land 26 hours later, we're taking off coming back. So it's not – it's a long trip, and sometimes it's late depending on the times. But um, the travel schedule was just tough. But uh, a, a couple of the players said that San Francisco game kind of alerted them. Now maybe they're just not good enough. And there was a lot of. And then other teams saw what San Francisco did, uh, and that was, that was the beginning. That was the beginning of of the end. I, I they, they were a Super Bowl loser. I didn't think they were going back to the Super Bowl based on history, but I didn't think they would collapse the way they did at the end of the year. Roger, you've got a last question for Howard. We'll let him get out of here. Yeah. Well, I want to find out if he's going to be going to Brazil. Yes. That's a long flight, believe me. 
I'm not <laughs> excited. You know, I guess Brazil, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you're going to Brazil. It's like 10 or 11 hours. The flight's yeah. like 10 or 11 hours. I mean, from Philadelphia. It's just got to be kidding me. But, um, and then the, it's, uh, everybody tells me, you better not wear a good watch, and you better not go, and I walk a lot. I walk like 10, at least 10 miles a day. You better not go out and walk by yourself. It's not a good place to go out and be by you yourself. You are exactly right. You are exactly yeah. right. What the hell is the NFL doing there? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. But it sounds great. But um, and I'm sure they'll have security for all of this. They got to have security. Your good friend, the uh, commissioner, he wants he wants you all to go to Brazil. He likes that <laughs> idea. Oh, internet, more international money, TV money. It's ridiculous. But right. hey, listen, uh, I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. But I will be going, and um, I don't know what the stadium's going to look like. I hope it's a football stadium. Uh, it, but uh, hey, listen, it's it's a football game. It's just, and at least it's a Friday, so we have extra time off. Uh, well, it's the first game, and then we have extra time off after the game. So at least that's a good right. part of it. Howard, thank well, you're you right very, about very much. Security. So be be safe. We'll talk to you before then, and I'll, I'm going to uh, check on the uh, mail because I, okay, I got yeah, it registered. Do. Okay. Right. No problem. Take Thanks. care. Thanks a lot. Take care, as always. Uh, take care. All right. See you later. Have a good night. All right, Howard Eskinar, really a, just a, a great guy to work with in Philadelphia for so many years and uh, still going strong, and uh, maybe he's 33 years younger than I am. I'm 82, <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> Whatever so it that is. That means he's 23 years younger than me, and I don't think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll guarantee he's 19 years younger than I am because he told me that the other day. But uh, needless to say, he does a lot of travel. He does a lot of work. And there's nobody who works harder in this business. Uh, I I know a lot of people in a lot of cities. So do you, Roger. Uh, A lot of people in a lot of cities. But I will say this. I have never worked with anybody that works harder than Howard Eskin does day in and day out, seven days a week. That, that, that's the best I can say. And he's always there, Don, always at games. He He knows what's going on. It's not looking oh, to somebody he knows. Yep, and, uh, and because he works at it. He, he, he works at it. He worked at it from day one. Uh, used to be on with uh, Al Michaels down in Washington with, uh, what was that, some some machine, I forget the name oh, of the that. George, uh, George shows Michael uh, Sports Machine. That's what Sports I was talking machine, to yes. about. He was on, yeah. yeah, he was on that show. He, he's been on so many shows other than his own shows in, in Philadelphia at WIP. And uh, with the Eagles and with the 76ers and with the Flyers and with everybody else. But nobody works harder. Uh, Frank, uh, just let me know what we have coming up. Uh, uh, Mike's ready to go. Mike's oh, okay. Mike is on the line right now, so we'll go to him right now. Mike Zimzak and uh, Washington has folded in their oars on the baseball front. The owners are going to keep the team for a while longer. Give us a little information on that, Mike. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people were caught a little bit by surprise. Um, Ted Lerner, who has owned the team since, well, since it relocated, I mean, he's certainly not getting any younger. Uh, the team's been on box for uh, probably close to about two years now. With the Baltimore Orioles selling, we kind of knew that this was going to be 
they got the ball rolling. I mean, that was a team down, um, you know, late yesterday, uh, early today, that they were not going to sell the team. Uh, I can say that that news has not necessarily been met with uh, met warmly. Did they pull off the market because they didn't think they were getting enough money for it or enough offers for it, or they didn't think there was enough interest in, in selling it? What was, the, what was the genesis of what, why they decided all of a sudden to pull it off the market? We haven't really heard why they decided to pull it off the market. My guess is they did not get any real offers, um, and any offers that they did get did not necessarily reach the, uh, the, the the price that they were thinking or hoping to get for the, uh, the franchise. Uh, the only bid that we really know of that came in, the only registered bid and publicly said so, was Ted Leonsis, the owner of the that of Monumental Sports, the uh, Wizards, and the Capitals, right? And much of his bid was contingent upon them being able to get out of the contract with Madison because he wanted that property to put the as programming for his own station. He, I mean, I can't imagine Ted Leonsis running Monumental Sports owning the um, the Nationals but having to watch them play on a completely different network. So that was the only bid that really came up. Um, most parties weren't really interested in it because as long as the, uh, there's no resolu- resolution to this Madison deal in that they don't own their own rights and that the bulk of their rights are going to, to uh, oh, oil. Yeah. There's really no registry. And yeah, so it's been hard on both the team to set up. It's been hard for them to generate a market for them. And also, like, the learners, they put a lot of money into the team. They got the World Series in uh, 2018. You know, they paid... Uh, Stephen Strasburg, uh, and since then they've kind of just tightened up the, 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 the purse strings a little. A lot of people were thinking because they were willing to sell, they were selling the team, that that's one of the reasons why they had gone a little bit on the cheap side. Um, I don't know whether they'll start spending money. Um, certainly I wouldn't really expect them to go out uh, make a big trade or make a big signing in what remains of this off season, uh, and I really don't actually think that they'll do much business next off season. The team just isn't there yet. They've got some really exciting young pieces, but this is probably going to be another season where they're hovering around that uh, ninety to one hundred loss range. Um, so I, I just don't think that there's going to be much investment made in the team. Now, with the others being sold, uh, when that sale actually goes through, maybe we can get a final resolution to this Masson deal that has been an albatross on the Nationals since they came into Major League Baseball. And once that's resolved, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see the – uh, the, the Nationals go back on the market. I think that Ted Lerner 
was a big baseball guy, and he was very invested in the Nats having them here in D.C. and wanting them to be successful. I don't get the same sense from his family. They just don't seem as interested in owning the team. And I think there'll be just, you know, just the work that comes along with that. And I think they'll just be happy to sell it and see what they can recoup from. Roger? Well, you know what I was thinking, Mike, that, uh, I, and I don't know whether they can do it. You you would know uh, better than me. But could they leave Masson, uh, have some kind of agreement on a buyout, and go to NBC Sports, uh, D.C.? Um. As the contract stands right now, no, um, because they are locked in to Masson in almost perpetuity. This deal is one of the strictest. Um, like, you know, this, this this is a deal that came out in the in the aughts, right? We're we're talking about. Uh, like 0405 is when the national deal comes about, and it's so tightly written that that people are pretty sure that it even actually covers streaming, which is baffling because you know high speed internet wasn't a consistent thing, let alone streaming. But they don't even seem to own their own streaming rights, so they would have to do like they would have to negotiate with the new owners of the Orioles, some sort of resolution to this deal. Um, I think maybe this is one of the things that Rob Manfred finally saw on his way out. You know, now that the Angelos family doesn't own the Orioles, maybe the Orioles, the new ownership is just willing to say, we don't want to deal with this anymore. We're more than happy to go and um, let the Nationals go. Because the other thing about it is, frankly, um, the way that Masson has been run for the last couple of years, it hasn't actually done a whole lot for the owner's revenue as well. So the new ownership of the Orioles may be just as willing to get out because then they can go to um, shop to like an NBC sport or Monumental or something like that. Uh, I don't think that anybody really wants to be in the television production um business and it's not like the Phillies with uh, Comcast where they have a partner who where they have they, they have a partner that can help them with the broadcasting um, like the Phillies or the Yankees with uh, the Yes Network or even the um, the, the, the Red Sox with Messing, uh, right? You know, the O's have been putting this bill to produce both of these teams well over a decade and you know, they just haven't had any revenue and they've been in the production business and this hasn't really worked. I mean there's no programming on mass outside of the Nationals at all. So hopefully um you know me we'll, we'll just see dissolve. Mike, let's get to uh, your belly wick which is soccer and uh, nobody knows more about the soccer world than you do. Uh, down there in that Washington, Baltimore area, and uh, tell us what what's on the horizon now. Well, where does MLS stand? Where does the international competition stand? Uh, what are you looking well, forward to most uh, ahead? Right now, the uh, U.S. women are in the Gold Cup, um, the continental Con- uh, competition. They just beat the Dominican Republic uh, 
five nothing yesterday. This is a competition that one would expect the U.S. Women's National Team to win, uh, even though they're going through a bit of a transition. They're bringing in a new roster. They don't even have um, their head coach. She's still with uh, Kelsey in the women's uh, the soccer league over in in England. Uh, as far as MLS goes, this season is kicking off. In fact, this Saturday is the first game for the Philadelphia Union. Um, this is a much earlier start. I think it's the first time that the um, MLS has actually started in February. Normally it was early March. Um, as far as the union go, they are the opinion of let's bring the band back. They're returning, almost, they're returning pretty much their entire roster from last year. They recently announced the re-signing of Club Captain uh, Alejandro Bedoya. He's working in a new role that has been kind of created, I guess, for senior players, where he's going to be uh, playing, but then he's also going to be working uh, in uh, in the front office. So it's an all, it's kind of like a transition type thing for him where he's going to be, you know, on field, but he's also going to have certain responsibilities in different departments in the front office. I'm probably looking forward towards retirement, which is not far away for him and getting the front office gig. Um, but that pretty much assures that the bulk of their team from last season will be back. Um, you know, it's an interesting move for the union to make. Uh, I've talked about how much consistency can be a benefit in the uh, in MLS when you've got a team together that's been successful, they've played well together, and they know each other. A lot of times that can be uh, a benefit. Um, at the same time, this was a team that didn't necessarily accomplish everything that they wanted to last year. Um, they won their first round playoff. They did lose a close one in the, the – um, quarterfinals to the eventual MLS champion uh, FC Cincinnati. But they could all, you know, the union, they don't have the deepest pockets. We're not going to say that they, you know, they're not a team that has a really big payroll. They're looking for youth production and to get those guys that kind of fit in at a reasonable price point. And I think that they're hoping and they're looking around and saying, you know, we've got our team back. We're looking at the, um, the other teams in our division, and a lot of them have suffered some big losses. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, the leading scorer for FC Cincinnati, and the guy who was the for MLS MVP, he's playing down in Mexico, so that team's going to be going through it. At the same time, you know, right now in the MLS, there are there's Messi and Luis Suarez and FC uh, in uh, Air Miami. And then everybody else. And, you know, the assumption going into the season is that, you know, everybody's kind of competing to see where they fall off and then hope that this experiment down in Miami, um, at some point the wheels come off. Roger? You're talking about the uh, union and about the uh, season uh, starting. The uh, it, it's just amazing uh, how the MLS has really taken off in recent years, and the and we've talked about it many times. The price of the franchise uh, now, and uh, you know exactly uh, what's going on. Do you do you look at them as at the league is playing like two? Uh, will will they go up to maybe three games a week? Do you think, Mike? 
No, no, it's right. Um, there you are. No, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that they're going to go any more than um, where they are right now, which is, you know, most like of the teams two. play once a week, and then you have the occasional midweek game. That's a pretty standard schedule for um, soccer players. In fact, you know, it most of the time you know, the rules dictate that you can only you can't play more. Uh, you can't play less than forty-eight hours. After a um, after a game in, you know, if they go through the playoffs, the MLS season right now is 34 games. If you go all the way through the playoffs, I think that's another seven plus the various comp, um, cup competitions. You can get up to about um, 50 games, and that may not sound a lot, but when you add in the international commitments that a lot of these guys have. They're playing a lot, and um, the more games they play, the MLS squads are not as big as some of the squads in Europe, so the guys are playing a lot of games. The more they play, that's where you start to see these muscle injuries and the hamstrings and the things like that at the end of the season. And so I think for players' safety and to keep the teams competitive, they're going to stick where they they, they are. I can't see them going to about, um, you know, like, I guess you're saying like play uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, and then another Saturday or Sunday game, and I just I, that that wouldn't happen. That'd be a more robust schedule than you'd see anywhere, and I think that would turn a lot of players off because they, you know, it would be a risk. Mike, let's let's leave it right there, Mike, and we'll come back next week and uh, catch more on Washington. What's happening in Washington? What's happening in Baltimore? What's happening on the soccer front around the world? But thank you very much as always. Always a pleasure. All right. Mike, have a great week. You too. Next, our next guest I've been waiting for him all week. Doug Hamilton, right. I want to know about Riviera. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, Riviera turned out to be a disaster. <laughs> well, you know what? I think uh, as a, a segue into this, you know, uh, a plumber doesn't want to come home and fix his own toilet. You know, so... <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this, but um, as a as a golf professional, honestly, I, I really don't watch a lot of golf. Um, Don, I think you 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 are more qualified than me when it comes to watching uh, more golf than than most people. Um, I think I watch probably the four majors and just a smattering of other you know kind of events. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I'm more hands on in terms of being involved in the mix of of uh, ground roots of teaching and coaching and, and doing some different things and continuing education and, and all the, the kind of things. In fact, frankly, I look forward to um, what I would deem to be the off season here in Maryland, which is the winter to, um, you know, be a, be a parent, be a husband and uh, take, take advantage of some downtime. But I'm more than willing to, to listen. I think, what was it? Shigeki Mariyama that won it or Hideki Matsui. Yeah, he won it. Yes. I, I I don't yeah. understand what's going on now between the two sanctions because first of all it had a disaster it was it was uh, uh, Tigers it was Tigers tournament uh, he only made it into the second round and he got the flu and, and had had injections and all the rest and fly back home so he wasn't there and uh, so much criticism about the fact that. He was not on hand at the end to make the mm-hmm. to make the presentation. He never came back to the tournament, although he was the host. Uh, 
And the other thing was that, uh, of course, they waited till the day after <laughs> the tournament was completed. Uh, sure. But the car company that was the sponsor had 90,000 cars recalled for mm-hmm. malfunction the day after the tournament. And the day after, uh, the day of the finals, uh, the dispute between Leave and the PGA got more and more heated because some of the mm-hmm. great players that played last year and for the former champion there wasn't there. And they weren't criticizing the players that were there or that won, but they were criticizing mm-hmm. was the way the tournament actually unfolded with all the all the things that happened outside of the world of golf, not just the world of golf. And let me just uh, reiterate that I didn't say at the top when you first came on. Uh, Doug is well, a PGA professional down in the Baltimore area, and he joins us every week to talk about golf. And uh, But this, this just seems to be a rarity to me. Riviera, one of the great courses, one of the great facilities in the country, and they had all sure. these problems at Riviera. Well, you, you, I mean, look um, – as a spectator, you know, we, we, we have the ability to watch a lot of these great tournaments uh, unfold. And, you know, I, what I can tell you is, um, it was, what year was it, Two, 2005, 2006, um, I had the ability to be on hand at the country club where I worked, uh, where we hosted the Champions Tour, um, you know, event. And, you know, for those two years, I was I was really taken back by, um, the just inability of the management company that was was kind of parenting uh, the on-site concepts of just they had no communication they were very uh, low in resources when it came to like uh, range balls uh, the the staff that they provided in terms of management was um, worse than second rate um, they asked me to provide uh, a lot of different customer experiences and. You know, we want people at this check-in area, and we want these, you know, things for, for uh, um, you know, the pro-ams and, and all these different things. And they asked me to create the sun, moon, and stars with no budget whatsoever. So um, I can tell you firsthand that a lot of these tournaments are run by people who don't have any earthly idea what they're talking about or know <laughs> what they're doing um, because I, was, I experienced it firsthand. In fact, um we used what was the name of the club? It was Peter Jacobson Productions, and to this day, if I could find the guy that was in charge of that, I'd I'd probably wring his neck. Um, he was one of the worst administrators I'd ever seen in my entire life. Had no earthly idea what he was doing. In fact, as the head golf professional at Hayfields Country Club for that period of time, I wasn't even allowed to go in the clubhouse. In fact, my mom, I know she's listening. She made food for me and my staff for the entire week that I put in my bag room because we weren't allowed to go in the clubhouse. You know, I had some 10 or 15 workers that they gave me like three parking passes for. So we had to go down to the parking ride and shuttle these people. I mean, it was, we ran out of range balls. Like they didn't, they, they weren't very well, you know, versed in it just, it was a pathetic kind of a, you know, so to the, to your case in point, I mean, the, the concept of the, the cars being recalled, I mean, that's kind of an unforeseen thing. You, you, you can't really, you know, but a lot of those other things, when you, you talk about the planning and, and the execution of those things during that tournament, you would think that they have higher level people that can kind of figure that out. But clearly this was an example of something that didn't happen the way that it should, um, you know, and it becomes a, you know, a bleep show when it comes to that kind of stuff. Roger, Doug, 
Doug, I can tell you I've been there just like you have. I was involved, uh, very involved, in the uh, when I first moved to Georgia with the Georgia Tech women's basketball program, and they were having a golf tournament. And I got from uh, one of the companies I did business with during my career here in Atlanta, I got all these uh, different items from Coca-Cola because they, had, mm-hmm. they were Coke, handled Coke. Uh, golf clubs, shirts, all kinds of stuff. The, uh, I've got uh, things that were donated, golf towels from the old uh, Atlanta, the uh, uh, Georgia Force, you know, the mm-hmm. Arena League, you know, team. Sure. Okay. And then I asked the woman who I won't mention because she's on ESPN doing women's uh, <laughs> basketball and a nice, very competent person. But I asked her, I said, who is putting this uh, golf uh, tour, uh, tournament together? Well, I am. And I said, no, it takes a professional who is, mm-hmm. knows what they are doing with a golf tournaments to make it mm-hmm. successful. Not oh, yeah. some guy, Johnny, Johnny come lately, like you're, right. uh, you're mentioning. And, and, I mean, Don and I saw for years down at Seaview, uh, uh, the women's LPGA, a first-class mm-hmm. run tournament. And, yeah, and when, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it in other ones, too, at the U.S. Open at uh, Marion. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. you know, I mean, they they know what they did. I mean, they built new new uh, P&W uh, train stops, right, Don? Mm-hmm. They they went in and Absolutely. because they wanted the public transportation. <laughs> so I, I can understand exactly how you feel. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty bad when it's a Tigers tournament, but he isn't able to come back for the finale. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not, I mean, it's not good. The quote-unquote flu. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've often wondered. I, I've asked this question, and, and, and um, I, I, I don't know who could answer this question, but it always seems weird that, like, you know, let, let's take football season and let's take, you know, Lamar Jackson on Wednesday is missing from practice because he has an illness. All right, so whatever, he's got the flu, he's got blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like a day and a half later, he's ready to practice. Like, what, what are these guys getting that I can't get? I've had the same freaking cold for like, you know, a month. And I've been taking all this crap over the counter. What, what is he doing that I don't have access to? I mean, is there some kind of magic bullet that, that, that these guys get that, you know, that they're able to magically get back out there and practice? Because, I mean, you know, I, I mean, it, this is ridiculous. Oh yeah, well, I, 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 no doubt about it. Just uh, to me, uh, and maybe so a little light on it. I just think that the confrontation between the two tours now is getting a little more. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, uh, there's not going to be a, 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 an agreement drawn, and there is going to be an agreement drawn, and there's not going to be an agreement drawn. Now it's going to take two months or three months or four months mm-hmm. before everybody sure. decides how they're going to split this money up. And uh, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a, a majority of the players on the PGA Tour are necessarily going to jump to the other tour. But the one thing they do mm-hmm. have, they do have the, the number one player from Riviera last year that won the tournament, and he wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, I think that you know your decision that gets made is you know a direct correlation to where the money flows. You know, I think that's. That's the big concept. I mean, you saw, you know, all these people that jumped from the PGA Tour to the Live Tour because, 
you know, they could play less golf, they could wear shorts, they could a shotgun start, they could uh, spend more time with their family. And they got the big money, they got the money from, they got the money from the Arabs too. I mean, that was the key. They got all that money. Absolutely. For sure. So whatever happens. Mickelson probably wouldn't win another tournament if, was he, 54 now? He wouldn't win another tournament if he stayed out there for a year, for two years playing every day. But he got the big money from them. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. They, uh, made these offers to some of these individuals that um, jumped, and as you know, as you mentioned, Mickelson was one of them. I mean, hell, I mean, if you can secure, you know, some financial stability for your family, I mean, I hate to say it, but but Phil Mickelson has lost how many millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, gambling in his career. That you know, that's why he kept jumping from different manufacturers and ended up to Callaway and you know all these different things because of the money uh, that he got for his sponsorship. Um, you know, uh, commitment. So, you know, you look at some of these guys, I mean, if, if somebody were going to give you 50, 80, hundred million dollars or whatever to say, here, you sign on this dotted line and you go play golf just like you did before, it, whether you win another tournament or not, I mean, that's, that's stupid. I mean, that, you know, I'm still waiting for my daggone phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> but you Roger? know what I can see you doing, Doug? I'll be honest with you. I thought about this. You <laughs> should be a high school golf coach. I've done that. Uh, okay, and, uh, and you didn't like it, I take it. No, I, I coached. Uh, my alma mater was North Carolina High School, and unfortunately it uh, it closed. Uh, they built, you know, some other high schools and then moved the kids around. Uh, but I had coached uh, that high school team for two seasons. Um, there was some uh, politics involved because I wasn't, I wasn't a teacher at the high school, so they – Yep. Yeah. Um, it look, looked upon me a little bit uh, differently, so I had to kind of quote unquote co-coach. And uh, you know, Roger, you'll appreciate this, but the first year I coached, we were uh, six and seven, uh, six wins, seven losses. And the the co-coach uh, was a teacher there, and we show up for uh, the first week of the season, which is tryouts, and he hands me this uh, fairly thick packet of papers that was um, the matrix in which. You should conduct practice, um, how you should keep your team, and all these different things. And I just yeah. quickly kind of leafed through it, and I threw it in the trash can. And he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, his name was Bill. I said, Bill, I'm a PGA professional. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me what kids I should keep. I was like, I'm not going to read through this, and I really don't care what it has to say. And he looks at me, and he goes, well, what are you going to tell the parents? And I said, well, I'm going to tell the parents that their kid wasn't good enough to make my team, and if they'd like to work with me in the offseason, I can coach them. <laughs> And he goes, okay. So we were we yeah. were six and seven, right? So so we go through we go through tryouts, and we kept um, we kept twelve kids because at the time he played six. We took the best six kids based on their scores, and he looked at me and he said, "You pick three kids, and I pick three kids." I said, "Okay." So I picked my three kids, and he looked at me and he goes, "Why did you pick those three kids?" And I said, "Well, I mean, I said that they're a couple years away, but I can develop them, and they'll be fine." And he looked at me and he goes, uh, okay, well, go ahead and pick Go ahead and pick the other three. So I picked the other three kids. So like I said, we were six and seven. The second year, we were 13 and one. Okay. There you go. And for, yeah. and, for the first time, and for the first time in school history, we made it to the state championship as a team. Okay. So to your point, I stopped coaching. I got sick uh, the following year and I had to step away. And – uh, that okay. guy kept coaching, and he called me, and he said to me, uh, Doug, I just wanted to apologize 
And I'm like, what do you want to apologize for? He goes, you were right. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, we just won the state championship. And with, <laughs> and with, the, kid, with the kids you picked, and I just wanted to apologize to you. And I there thought, you go. Okay, that's pretty cool. There you go. And then, yeah. I, I, but to your to your point, though, I think I think coaching is something that I have a passion for. I had coached um, two years ago. I had coached an all girls high school private team, um, and they had never won a match in their career until I coached them, and they won their conference. So um, it, it's it's fun to to be on that kind of bottom line with with kids and be able to. Uh, have a little fun with them and, and, and teach them and show them. The, Doug the, is on the board. Things. Doug, thank you very much. A lot of things I want to get into with you next week. We'll do it yep. again. And, uh, Roger, always a pleasure to be with you. Okay. Thanks to our guests all night. Sir. God bless. So have back a great to our week. Commander-in-Chief, Frank Carroll. Take it over. Thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women Police and Fire Services, the doctors and nurses at, and first responders for COVID, and also those wonderful people to keep this, the shelf stock in the supermarket so that we can go through the pandemic. These programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcop, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Pell, Detective Ricky, Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles Levate, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Onofa Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Zachary Ben. Uh, and the Florida Highway Patrol. Uh, Chief Al Hogo, Longbow Cave Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Patrol, uh, Patrol Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, and Deputy uh, Mike Hargrove, I'm sorry, Mike Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department, Temple Police Department, Sergeant uh, Ronald Rodriguez, Philadelphia Airport Police Department. My brothers and sisters, will you maybe 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week. County Dispatch to 1999, County Dispatch to 1999.
County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999's response was the latest emergency. And God rest his soul.